Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. We had a few requests for a podcast episode focused on accessibility and and really focused on what goes wrong. What are the common screw-ups when trying to make buildings accessible? We reached out to Peter Stratton here at Stephen Winter Associates, who's in charge of our accessibility group. He chatted with folks in his team and came up with a list of about 10 things. And this list was, well, maybe different than what some people expected. It wasn't a list of clearances or slopes that often get screwed up. It was a list about the process of design and construction. What often goes wrong in in this process. And really, I think this is a lot more interesting and probably way more useful overall. Pete came up with about five things that go wrong in the design stage and five things that go wrong in the construction stage. And your list starts with details. The first thing on your list was details are provided by the designers, but they're not referenced in the floor plan. That's right. And that, that, that's, a, that's a big one. And when I do these kinds of presentations, we always sort of launch the presentation with exactly, exactly this topic. And, and before we get into it, you know, the, the more common oversights that are made in design, um, where we'll discuss five. But as you might know, there are, there are many more than five. And what we'll talk about are pretty much the most common that we see. It's not uncommon that architects include at the top of the plan set generic details. Um, when we see generic details provided at the top of the plan set, it sort of informs us. Uh, and I think right at the jump, what we think is that we've really got to take a look at the plan set to confirm that the generic details that are often included at the top of the plan set actually fit the context of the design. And when they don't, that's when we get into problems. So often an architect, a designer might reference the technical criteria or the accessibility requirements of a local code and sort of copy and paste details from the criteria, for example, into the plan set. And so we might receive a plan set for a multifamily residential development and up at the top of the plan set are sort of these generic bathroom details, which are perfectly compliant. But then when we sort of dig into the plan set and take a look at the design, we realize that we can't align those generic details with the actual design. And it would be unrealistic to expect that a contractor would design a project off a generic detail when what they're actually working on um, is sort of later on in the plan set, very unrelated to those generic details. So, yeah, it seems like they didn't, you know, if they just put generic details up front, they didn't really do their due due diligence in designing 
it it could be that they didn't do their due diligence, but it also could be that there was good intention. Um, but the process of design uh, really sort of doesn't align with the good intention. We've got to do a little bit more than just copy and paste paste generic details up at the plan set. I think one of the first things to do is to ensure that those details included at the top of the plan set are not generic, that they actually fit the context of the design. Okay. What, how, how about an example? I mean, clearances or, or ramps or what? So, yeah, all of the above. We, we often see elevations, for example that include dimensions for the installation of grab bar reinforcement in bathrooms, for example. When we take a look at the bathrooms in the plan set, you know, elevation A included in the generic detail that shows the elevation, for example, of the, the grab bar reinforcement for the later installation of the grab bar on the sidewall next to the toilet doesn't align with the sidewall that's shown in the context of the design. Uh. And so, an example of a generic detail. Another example of, of a generic detail might be uh, often in the plan set, we see a generic detail for a U-shaped kitchen, a generic detail for a galley-style kitchen. Uh. But the kitchens in the floor plans are not U-shape <laughs> or galley. And so that, that's, that's a really good example of something that's pretty common. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And next on your list is, I mean, the appropriate level of detail is, is, is not provided at all. I mean, is this where a designer just, just doesn't know or doesn't try? I mean, the... Or candy, you know, I guess. Or... It's interesting, and that pans out a whole the whole host of different ways. Um, I I think when it comes to accessibility compliance, the level of detail and the scrutiny is so much more intense than we might imagine. Um, it's often unrealistic, almost, to expect that an architect or a designer uh, as a matter of normal course, would over detail a plan set to ensure that compliance is met. Okay. So we do see what the architect might think is an appropriate level of detail, but we understand that when the design translates into the field, that the detail just isn't enough. And so, for example, we we often see, you know, partition details and threshold details, but the, th the details don't include what we need to see to ensure that the threshold when installed is compliant in the field. Sometimes the detail doesn't include a specification. So it may include the height of a threshold, but what's missing is the slope of the bevel on either side of the threshold, okay. which is an important component of compliance when it comes to thresholds. Yeah. So we often want to detail. Well, we 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 often want to see a higher level of detail in the plan set, but we also understand that maybe not so realistic. 
Okay. But it's important to provide to ensure that compliance is achieved in the field. I got Certainly. You. And that's why you get brought in, I assume, when an architect just doesn't have all that knowledge of all those details, the nitty gritty. Right. Okay. And, and, and so we have a, a, you know, we focus on the pinch points. We know the common busts in the field. And so we're reviewing plan sets with the result in mind. In other words, we might identify a detail and think, well, looks good in the plan set and we understand the design, but we've got to include some added dimensions to ensure that what's constructed in the field is actually constructed in the correct way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this and is- we don't, we don't, I'm sorry to interrupt, Rob. We don't, we don't typically get pushback. It's appreciated, I think, that we, we have that knowledge uh, and can sort of transfer that knowledge to to the client so so and this was i mean this bullet point was that the appropriate level of detail is just not provided in the plans it does certainly doesn't necessarily mean you have a clueless designer it's just that the level of detail is so deep that it's that's right okay that's exactly right gotcha um the next one i can appreciate plan sets are not coordinated so the architect may know yeah. all the right details, uh, and the architectural drawings may look perfect, but the MEP may may not, or others may not. That's right, and I think that that the 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 it really comes down to communication, right? Communication uh, among the team. Um, it's not uncommon to see an uh, a set of architecturals that include compliant design. So we will see that the control wall at the bathtub is correct. When plans, well, when the architecture set is not aligned, for example, in this case with the plumbing set, the plumbing may show the control wall on a wall that is different from the architectural set. And so, you know, the plumbing shops are going to be done from the plumbing plans and the plum, the, the engineer or the contractor who's working on plumbing is going to look at the plumbing shops. And if they're not coordinated, you know, the result can be a major bust in the field. In fact, in our experience, uh, we have come up against projects where the architecturals are perfectly compliant. In the case of the location of the of the control wall at a bathtub, and then when we arrived in the field, the control wall had changed somewhere in the design oh, process, okay. but only in the architectural set. It was not modified and corrected in the plumbing set. So, and a wall, one wall case, was thicker, and there wasn't enough clearance, or there wasn't enough. Well, the location of the controls uh, is on a completely different wall. Okay, okay. Which can really affect, yep. you know, compliance in a negative way. Yeah, and that's you know, as a mechanical engineer, I there's there's tension between architects and engineers, as you're familiar. Not there can be. <laughs> there can be. And this is just one other one added uh, flavor of that tension, I guess. <laughs> Um, uh, similarly, in, in that bucket of plan sets that are not coordinated, it's not uncommon that certain things happen in the field that aren't addressed in the plans. We may see 
FOB locations. FOB. Uh, or or doors, fobs, FOBs. You know, I always get that wrong. You know, that little thing that you wave at the at the at the door so so it opens. Yep. We'll see. They are added on exit doors, fire exit doors. So adding an FOB on a fire exit door makes that door an entrance. Ah. Um, we m- might see security cameras installed, not addressed in the plan set, not part of the design, happens later on. And depending on where they are installed, how far they project from walls, they can violate some of the some of the requirements and some of the criteria that speak to protruding objects. Oh, oh, interesting. Wow. Huh. Intercoms might might be installed later on um and sort of we we assess for operable parts. And so if we don't have the opportunity to take a look at these things that are all part of the process, all part of the final product, um but somewhere along the way, as a result of the communication, the accessibility consultant, for example, may not have been looped in. Okay. And so everything that happens in design and construction really should involve communication with someone who knows accessibility. And it might not be an accessibility consultant. It might very well be the architect. Okay. So always some some level of review when it comes to the installation of things that happen often later. Uh, that are not submitted a, typically as part of the review process. Like interior and, design you know, often happens later. An, an, another example, okay. and, and and a really good one. Um, often things happen, or the interiors is the interior is modified, or the interior design set is produced, perhaps at a later time. Um, may not have been part of the review and so we then troubleshoot these missteps in the field which has its own level of yep. problem you know problems associated with with troubleshooting in the field um and you know the interior design often drives you know the project and so the interior <laughs> design set very important that that is part part of the review it's it's sort of critical um, and how about external like how about the bridge between inside and outside with um uh, landscape designers or or um yep so when you know a project includes everything which is yep. architectural civil landscape interior mep all of those trades and sets affect compliance of the final product and so it's important that a review not only include a review of the architecturals which you might think you know that might be the only thing that an accessibility consultant might want to take a look at which is not correct you want or design team should have all of the different sets coordinated and reviewed interior exterior gotcha yeah that's a that's a big one that that you know, coordination between all the whole design team is a... and it's tricky, especially yep. when you have you know a design architect, the executive architect, tons of 
design managers, tons of construction managers. Yep. You know, it 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 becomes a a, a very big thing to manage and organize. Um. But that's yeah, that's their job to and, yeah, on all aspects. This is just one. Yeah, the accessibility piece is one. One of the one of the key pieces. One of the key pieces, right? So uh, this was interesting to me. Next on your list, that designs do not incorporate tolerance. Is that does that just mean that designers are leaving no room for error, or what? What does that mean? Yeah, that's that is what that means, and it's not uncommon. For example, that we'll see uh, a ramp slope designed to one in twelve which is the maximum slope permitted for a ramp. Okay. We would recommend that con that that designers consider reducing the slope of a ramp to less than 8.33 or less than the maximum to allow tolerance in the field. We never want to design to the max or to the min. Shooting from mid-range is always best if we can do it. But working some level of tolerance into the design is is key. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Is key. A height like height on height of switches, height of, I mean. That's right. So, switch heights. Let's just talk in general. Uh, unobstructed forward reach. In the more recent criteria, the maximum height above the finished floor, forty-eight inches. Now, if we specify 48 inches and show that dimension right at the light switch, chances are in the field, without working in some tolerance, there's a high level of certainty that designing to the max will result in non-compliance in the field. So in the case of a light switch, for example, we recommend that design teams consider specifying 48 inches to the top of the electrical box in that case. When we specify top of the electrical box, high degree of certainty that the switch itself will be less than 48 inches. Gotcha. Okay. And so that's an example of working in tolerance. Yes. Yeah, cool. Cool. And last on the on the the issues that come up during design, more during design, is copying pasting details from from previous projects, I believe. Yes. Okay. So copying pasting details from previous projects means, you know. We may be working on a commercial project in New York City. Okay. The same, and we went, for example, through the review process and we submitted recommendations, and eventually the plans are compliant. Well, the same design team now designs a residential project. In Florida. <laughs> and the they have submitted that residential project in Florida for review. 
and we see that they copy and pasted the details from a commercial project in New York City that may have received some amount of federal funding, uh, on and on, uh, different overlays that apply to that commercial project in New York City that do not translate to a residential project in Florida. And so that copy and pasting of the information would result in a design that may not be compliant. You know, as you know, depending on where a project is constructed, there are different requirements that apply. Building codes change based on jurisdiction, um, funding triggers. For example, federal funding on a project will trigger an overlay of, a, of an additional accessibility requirement. A residential project is different than a commercial project, so on and so forth. So we really need to detail based on the jurisdiction, the project type, and the various overlays of requirements. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, copying and pasting is so, you know, or inserting, you know, kind of standard blocks is so common in all the trades. You know, I'm, I look at mechanicals and I see, yep. I see copy and paste errors, you know, right. all the time. So it's, it's right. yeah, it makes, it doesn't surprise me that this is, that this is yep. a challenge. That's right. That's right. <laughs> cool. And so the the sort of the 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 more common oversights made in design. Of course, we can talk for hours and hours right, about right. the rest that we see, but those are the more common ones. So, so before we move on to the kind of construction phase, what when you, I mean, when you get brought on, are you are you pretty you're able to mitigate these pretty well, mitigate these issues, if you if you get brought on by a design team. Yes, uh, we can. It, it, you know, it often, you know, our involvement in the project or the level of our involvement changes based on, you know, how we're contracted. We may work for the developer. We may work directly for the architect. We may work for a city agency. That contractual relationship really does affect how much we can affect the entirety of the design. We may not be able to affect the civil design as much as we'd like. Okay. If we're contracted, let's say, with the architect right. directly. But contracting the developer gives us sort of a greater level of control over the over the project. So yeah. it varies. But 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 we do focus on Everything that I just mentioned, of course, and more. Yeah, cool. Cool. So on the construction side, top of the list, um, did not surprise me. <laughs> Trades don't follow the plans. <laughs> in, in, you know, in many cases. I think that, you know, back in the day, you know, how long ago was back in the day? Uh, Ten years ago, maybe. Um, the focus on accessibility compliance, I think, was much less than it is today. I think project teams understand today that accessibility compliance really does drive the project. Everything that happens in design and everything that happens on construction will affect accessibility compliance. 
And so we, we see more of a focus on it today, not, n- not as much as we'd like though, okay. but I think it's, it's, it's getting better. And so what do we mean when we say that trades may not follow the plans? We review design and we've gotten, uh, let's say, electrical to be perfectly compliant and elect- requirements for the location of electrical outlet switches can be very complex. And so we've worked with the designer to achieve a compliant design. Now the design is finished and we move into construction. Well, the electrical contractor involved in the job can be very knowledgeable or not so knowledgeable. And it, you know, knowledge varies, right? Oh, yeah. So if a contractor is not knowledgeable or doesn't understand that accessibility drives the project or hasn't been trained or informed. Um, it could be that the electrical contractor will install the electrical as they have been over the last 30 years without understanding that the installation of electrical is critical and changes depending on a lot of things. Uh, and so we've got to drive the trades to the plans. We want to incorporate training of the trades if, that, if that's possible to do. It's always a, a key to closing the gap on compliance in the field. Um, and, you know, that's not something that we want to troubleshoot in the field, right? Yeah, I mean, it's such, it's such a range. I mean, and I didn't... I, I didn't want to sound harsh on trades. I mean, there are some mechanical contractors who I just kind of want to follow around for weeks, just watching what they do. They're so knowledgeable. I learned so much. That's right. And then there's others that do what they've done for decades, regardless of they don't want to hear anything else. It's a whole gamut. It's a whole gamut. And it's not only electrical, as you know. Yeah. Uh, one One of the more common things that we see involves the plumbing side of things. Bathroom walls are required to be reinforced let's say for the later installation of grab bars when it comes to residential some residential projects though some residential projects are required to have grab bars installed at the time of the design and construction when it comes to commercial or non-residential projects grab bars are required to be installed at the time of design and construction um so we are or we inspect in the field for the location of the grab bar reinforcing. And so we've nailed it down because we're coming in and we're taking a look during framing. And so what we find sometimes is that the plumbing contractor is installing mixing valves or installing plumbing at showers or bathtubs and installs the plumbing right smack in the middle of the grab bar reinforcing. Uh. which. There's a problem because you cannot install grab bars in the area of the reinforcing anymore. And so that's that's an example of of communication. Now, the plumbing contractor needs to understand that reinforcing cannot be removed and they have to understand how to install the plumbing accordingly. Makes sense. Yeah, related to that, I mean, next on your list is can be plumbing, can be electrical, can be HVAC, can be a lot of different yeah. things. 
right. that roughing when roughing things in, people aren't taking into account finished That's levels right. of the finished material. Okay, finished floor levels or finished floor in. levels. It's not uncommon that a design uh, is going to include stud to stud dimensioning without you know, and compliance is measured at we always say between finished material or at the finished material. Finished wall, for example, not stud to stud. So next on your list, the specific products or specifications that are not coordinated with the details. Right. And so how does that pan out? We And what, yeah, we, what exactly? I'm not sure exactly what you meant by that. Right. So we may have reviewed a, a design and, you know, the, the, the title of the category specification slash products not coordinated with the details, you know, like I mentioned at the onset, it, it sort of pans out in, in a number of ways. Let's say handrail, the design of handrails. We have reviewed exterior accessible routes, ramps, stairs, walks. We've reviewed handrail details, height, radius, elevation, cross-section, so on and so forth. Compliance is achieved. Now the plant, the project is being constructed. The handrail contractor is on site, welding handrails on site, but does not coordinate that activity with the plants. And so you may have seen on handrails on that at ramps or slope surfaces, there are extensions beyond the top and the bottom of the slope surface, handrail extensions, horizontal extensions, which are important. There are specific criteria that apply to those extensions. For example, 12 inch horizontal extension, that 12 inches must be level with the landing surface. And the 12 inch horizontal extension cannot include the radius of the handrail return. Okay. And so the detail is very specific. But welding those extensions on site often results in non compliant extensions because the contractor just didn't coordinate that action or that effort with the plan set in that case. It could also be that we reviewed details of a threshold or even threshold specifications. The plan set is compliant. Now we go out into the field and a contractor says, I worked on a project in the past that was accessible or ADA compliant. I'm doing air quotes, ADA compliant. And so in that project, we used this threshold. And so they purchase thresholds based on what they think is compliant based on a past project. Okay. When they actually were not compliant because they were not the right reviewed. context or whatever. And so installation occurs, we get out in the field, the threshold that we see is not what we reviewed. Oh, yeah. the contractor says it's sloped on both sides. It's ADA compliant. It's what we've used in the past. And so Yeah. Often problems. Yeah, even so even if like a specific I mean do, do the 
Well, I mean, the plans don't usually get into the specific threshold product to use, or or do they in the in the? They can. Okay. You you will see specific threshold specs on plan sets. Okay. You will see them submitted separately. Okay. And you might see details. Yep. In the plan set. So there may or may not be a submittal phase for that threshold product that may or may not have gotten right. missed or gotten caught. Uh, right. Okay. Gotcha. And thresholds, as you can imagine, are the one thing you've got to get right. It's, right. You start there. <laughs> <laughs> you start there, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the one, you know, one of the things that's very apparent or can be very apparent when someone is snooping around your project trying to identify problems. Oh, I see. So, and that's, that's a thing for better or for worse. That's, that can be a thing. And as you can imagine, a high unbeveled threshold is easy to see with the naked eye. Yep. You don't need to get down on the floor and measure the height or, you know, to see that it doesn't have a sloped. Okay. Interesting. Boy edge yeah huh that's an important one that's mm -hmm. cool interesting um so things change during project <laughs> during projects things <laughs> constantly change during <laughs> projects as uh, you know yeah change orders quote value engineering um and also now I, this is one you put on the list product availability is a big issue especially now that's with, right after covid where Availability is an issue for anything and everything. So right. when things change during the course of construction, those don't always get checked. They often don't get checked. And as I mentioned to you, uh, everything that happens, accessibility drives the project. If something changes, accessibility is affected. And, you know, I, I make that statement, uh, you know, very confidently you know it could be that a change is unrelated to accessibility but it's important to communicate with whomever is working on the compliance side of things it's important to communicate that a change has been made let's take a look to see if accessibility is affected we've specified a refrigerator the plans were reviewed, the clearance between the face of the refrigerator and the opposing countertop is perfectly compliant. The project team can't get the refrigerator because of the delay. The refrigerators won't be in for months. Project team decides we can't wait for months. We're going to change the refrigerator. And so they change the refrigerator, but don't have that reviewed. And what gets installed is a deeper refrigerator that affects that compliant clearance negatively. Yeah. And so we want to, we want to take a look at everything that changes, especially the value engineering. Yeah. And you mentioned like floor, you know, changing the floor height. I think, you know, going from a hardwood floor to a, what, what was your example? Like a vinyl. vinyl. Yeah. Much thinner. And, I experienced that situation in the building that I live in. The project was designed with ceramic tile in hallways. Okay. 
during the process of construction, ceramic tile change to vinyl tile in some areas. Changing to vinyl tile, which in the case of my building was much thinner than the ceramic tile, affected level changes below thresholds at all the entry doors. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so you'd have to change the threshold or you would have to do something to to bring it back in compliance. Okay. Yeah. It, one thing leads to the other, leads to the next and on and on. And it becomes a very expensive fix. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last but not least on your list, things are not always square and level in the real world, Pete. <laughs> if things That's aren't right, level, uh, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we understand construction is not a perfect science. And there there will be things that occur during construction that don't perfectly align with what was designed, which is why we need to build tolerance into the design first. Um and when we do we sort of reduce what happens in the field when designs don't incorporate tolerance and level keeping things as level as possible is critical again that pans out in a number of ways contractors often measure height like countertop height at the wall but when countertops are installed we are really taking a look for the most part at the height of the front edge of the countertop which is 25 and a half inches away from the wall if the slab sort of transitions from the wall to the center of the room and and slopes that can affect the height of the front edge of the countertop in that case maneuvering clearance at doors is required to be perfectly level no more than 2% max slope for the entirety of the maneuvering clearance if slabs if the level is not controlled and the slab slopes too much then that throws off the compliance of the maneuvering clearance at a door, for example. And leveling, interestingly enough, uh, how we measure level is important. Um, for the most part, projects are measured, or slopes of floor surfaces, ground surfaces, are measured with a two-foot digital level, not a four-foot non-digital contractors level mm. um although interestingly enough the criteria don't specify the tool required it has been commonplace to use a two-foot digital level the department of justice uses a two-foot digital level when they investigate properties okay the department of housing and urban development uses a two-foot digital level and the thinking is that a two-foot level is closer to the width of a wheelchair than a four-foot level. Okay. And so we'll pick up convex, concave, and those sort of slope 
non-compliant slope that a wheelchair will pick up as it as it travels along the route. And these are really well, I would think mostly these are really subtle effects. But going back to your previous point, if you don't really include any tolerances in your, in your designs, right? It's it's easy to I, I can see where even just very subtle kind of minor changes could actually become deal breakers. You know, it's subtle, Rob, but it's it's really important yeah. and it's critical and it's important to nail down. And it's not often that we, we do, but when we have the opportunity to hear from someone who experiences life in a compliant project, you begin to understand Ah. You know, how life-changing the details are. Okay, cool, cool. That's cool. So, I mean, yeah, it must be gratifying to hear from people where it really makes a difference. <laughs> Again, <laughs> you know, it's it. not often that we do, Rob, but we have. Okay. Um, And, you know, that's when it makes it all worth it, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Cool. So looking ahead, that those were that was your list of some of the most common uh, snafus. Are our design and construction teams getting better? If we talk again in 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 five or ten years, do you think the same? We'll be talking about the same issues. Do you think there are some things that will really become pretty well understood? I think they are getting better, Rob. Um... You know, why are they getting better? I think that, uh, you know, the design and construction industry is very well aware of the importance of accessibility at this stage of the game. Okay. Um, I think that the codes that the design teams are working with are better aligned with federal laws, criteria referenced by federal laws very closely aligned now with the criteria referenced by building codes, which is very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the, you know, to speak to compliance with the fair housing amendments act, when it comes to the design and construction of multifamily residential projects, HUD has now approved effective March 8th, 2021. Um, additional HUD-approved safe harbors for compliance with the design and construction requirements of the Fair Housing Amendments Act. And those additional safe harbors include the recent additions of the International Building Code, uh, which is critical. Yeah, so things are just getting more aligned, it sounds like. Things are getting getting more aligned. We are seeing improvements. Um, but you know, I think personal opinion that an architect really can't be expected to incorporate the level of detail that's required to ensure that a project is designed in compliance with requirements. I think it really will always be a separate consultant that is 
retained by the project team, just like the acoustical consultant, just like the landscape consultant, the accessibility consultant is just as critical gotcha. to ensure that projects comply in the end. Are you seeing design firms kind of develop or or get that expertise in-house more or is, or not yet or I think that the designers and the architects themselves are getting much better at okay compliance um but I don't see firms retaining or developing sort of in-house compliance shops okay they certainly may have employees that that they may rely on to review designs um to ensure that they are compliant but whether that employee just does accessibility every day day in day out i doubt it okay Interesting. but improvements are being made certainly awesome yeah thanks peter this is uh i have a much better feel for well, I have much better feel for how things can get screwed up and there, <laughs> and therefore a better feel for how not to screw it up. <laughs> Thanks to Peter. Pete was on the podcast three years ago or so talking about um, some background and history of accessibility and accessibility requirements. This is not my wheelhouse. I, I really learned a lot from both episodes. So Go back and check that one out if, if this is an interesting interesting topic. Buildings and Beyond is produced by Stephen Winter Associates. You can find us at swinter.com. That's swinter.com. We are focused on making better buildings and or making buildings better. More accessible, obviously. Also healthier, more sustainable, efficient, resilient, comfortable, affordable. It's a long list. It goes on and on. Swinter.com slash podcast is where you go to, ch to find the show notes and other episodes and check out our careers page. If you are looking for opportunities, we have openings in most, if not all of our offices, Washington, DC, Manhattan, uh, Norwalk, Connecticut, and Boston, Massachusetts. I counted 19 openings today, late June, 2021. Uh, people are starting to filter back into all our offices now after COVID or at least after COVID has eased a bit, which is pretty nice. Thanks to the podcast team here, Heather Breslin, Alex Mirabile, Dylan Martello, Jade Alvarez, and Kelly Westby. I'm Rob Aldrich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>